Hello again, everyone. Lovely to have you with us once again for episode 57 of the Reenactors Ramble. Now, today is a very, very special day here in the UK. It is November the 11th, Remembrance Day. And 103 years ago today, the guns fell silent to mark the end of the Great War. Yeah. Now we've got a few things to talk about today. We, you know, we did cover a remembrance episode uh, last year, so you know, if you haven't listened to that, have a little rewind. We talk all about uh, our thoughts and feelings on uh, reenacting yeah. and how it plays a part in Remembrance Day. We'll come to that at the end um, as well, and you know, that will be, uh, I guess, uh, a key point in this episode throughout the day. Uh, throughout the day, sorry, throughout this next hour or so. Um, but today um, is all about, as promised, the um, the standards of reenactment within Great Britain. Now we're talking about the location of Great Britain here, not mm. necessarily the impression of Great British troops. Um, but that's what we're going to be talking about today. But anyway, without further ado, how are you, Mr. Jones? <laughs> Good, mate. Uh, I'm, I'm ashamed to say for the first time in many years, I actually missed today's Remembrance Day. And uh, not any faults of my own. I was into. Well, you didn't miss it. It's a whole day, right? You know, let's. let's it is, yeah. You're, I did talking have, about, you're, you're talking about the two minute silence, right? I re- yeah, I reflected and <clears throat> I, unfortunately, I, had a, I say unfortunately, I was interviewing somebody. So it was a case of it just, it was there and I couldn't say, see you later. I'm just going up for half an hour. <laughs> um, and you know what? I always have this on my persons, this little soldier. I see him a little. Uh, I've got this little, uh, this guard, this uh, soldier. And he, he was my dad's as a kid. So I always put that in my pocket on Remembrance Day, and uh, that's nice. It's just there; it's nice. But the cenotaph that is local to my um, everyday job, um, I've recently discovered that one of my relatives is on there, and I met his son. He was a World War Two, uh, sorry, World War One uh, casualty. Um, he died in World War One, and his son I met about fifteen years ago. Wow, the guy was, you know getting on slightly um yeah you're working out the maths aren't you <laughs> you're thinking wow but um i met this chap and um it was the first time and we had a, a natter although he was he had no memory of his father at all was, he was only a baby but he was um yeah it was, it was interesting but to go and see the cenotaph and see this his name on the the sentence half is is really poignant now. He must be a canny agent thinking about the maths as you mentioned. It, 103 years on now. <laughs> we, uh, yeah. Well, this was 10, maybe 15 years ago. Yeah. About fi- actually, it was 15 uh-huh. years ago. So it was 15 years ago. So he was uh, a canny age, as you say. Mm. But anyway, that's what is today. Remembrance. It's, it's, it is. It is. And we, we've got lots of strong thoughts. And we actually had a little quick... Uh, a quick, uh, what am I going to call it? A vote. We had a little vote on uh, on the on Reenactors Ramble Instagram page, um, just about how, uh, let's say, acceptable is it to reenact on Remembrance Weekend. We'll come to that at the end of the episode. But you know, it's it's coming towards the end of the reenactment season now, isn't it? I think Remembrance Day always sort of yeah. marks sort of the the end to it in a way. Like it's, it's almost like the unofficial end to the season for me. It is for us, and maybe what we know, but we do know of other groups that pursue other avenues and mm. carry on and perpetuate this kind of either private thing, private uh, events and functions, but the UK as a whole, the big events after maybe Pickering, there isn't really much more. No, there's I'm- a few, there's a few, yeah, a few here or there. And obviously I was one at one at the weekend, um, just gone as well, which, which is the first time that I've been there. Oh. I've been meaning to go for many, many years. And for anybody out there that's wondering what that might be, um, that was mm. the Lingature Aviation Heritage mm. Centre's, 
night run and uh, an annual Fantastic. fireworks evening as well so you know we talk about ek a lot on the podcast we call it ek affectionately it is lincolnshire aviation heritage center good friends um they are yeah so you know and it was fantastic i've been meaning to go for some time and for anybody uh perhaps wondering what what is the night run you know it sounds like uh mm, going, for, going for a jog in high-vis jackets that's not what happens <laughs> um so what happens is um ek was you know it was a wartime airfield it was built in 1943 known as rf east kirkby um it's home to 630 and 57 squadrons and home to bomber command um and obviously quite aptly uh we have just jane uh which is hoping yeah. to be the third airworthy lancaster in the world uh, over the next sort of five to ten years or so uh and obviously this taxis throughout the year from april and may right through to november to raise funds for the restoration mm. and allow reenactors and, and anybody keen interested to pay around three fifty four hundred pounds to go and have a once in a lifetime opportunity um to taxi down down the grass strip and the runway and you know hear the engines roaring from inside it's absolutely fantastic but what's different about this occasion is that you know bomber command didn't just run in the summer right and most of our events are through the spring and the summer so you rarely get to experience um what it would have been like on a world war ii you know an actual world war ii airbase in world war ii in the winter or you know autumn winter you know as we're getting yeah. getting towards now and it's a different experience it is freezing i mean Really, it's where all the warmth in the world goes to die anywhere in airfields, right? <laughs> but you know, in November it is something else, you know. And even when you got all your flying kit on, it's still chilly. And anyway, long story short, obviously the dark nights have come in now. The clocks went back a couple of weeks ago, so the benefit is you can see this Lancaster taxi at night. And why is that so special? I'm hearing potential people out there that maybe aren't mm. as uh, educated on bomber command asking well bomber command bombed by night you know the u.s uh u.s eighth air force all the sort of um u.s type of, of bomber command they they were all pretty much bombing daylight missions i think everything i, I don't know any u.s i might be wrong that, that bombed at night but anyway so the british bombed at night and of course that meant that we were taking off really eight hours was a return trip to, to Germany. Yeah. So realistically, you know, you were leaving anything from sort of five, 6 PM at night, maybe a little bit later returning in the early hours. Um, so that's, that's what the Lancaster and bomber command is synonymous with is, is nighttime raids is nighttime flying. So to see the Lancaster in it's, it's real natural habitat at night, um, noise travels farther at night. You know, you, you see things differently. The smell, mm. it's like you, your senses are heightened and, it's oh, it was an absolutely incredible experience. I mean, and to be up close. I mean, for me, it was a it was a it was a milestone in the hobby for me because I'd you know six weeks ago, less actually. You know, when I went when I went to Duxford, um, I decided at that point I'm going to go to the night run and I'm going to get all my flying equipment together, even if it kills yeah. me. And from that to the night run, it's about five six weeks. Now, in that point in time, I had to get hold of helmets. Um, oxygen masks microphones goggles um you know various other bits and bobs uh to pull the different uh tunic and insignia together because you know at one point i was going to be a wireless air gunner the next moment i was a navigator so i was chasing after insignia and and but i was determined to do it and yeah you know and why it's so special as well and remembrance day i, I want to read something out as well because i, I spent a lot of time reading um yeah, bomber command literature Mm-hmm. And for anybody wondering why the night run is so important, why Bomber Command is so important to me as an impression, um, and why I've always felt, felt so passionate about it, and why it is my, my biggest growing passion, I'm just going to read a, a, a small extract out um, from a poem called An Airman's Son. Um, and I read this before um, before he came, and it's, it's 
something I read quite often and it, I think it's very very apt today as well I'm going to go on to talk about Bomber Command a little bit more just after this but um, for now like, you know, it's Remnant Sunday so everybody well not Remnant Sunday it's Remnant's day today but you know, for now let's picture the airfield um, back in, in 1944 in November uh, and let's, let's think about these men I was just a wee child when the world went wild with warbird, bomb and gun not knowing then whether or when we might see the next rise of the sun. In this time of great fear, and death seemed so near, could we hide or possibly run? There was nowhere to go, for the place was aglow, with such chaos and no senses to stun. I was not quite a lad when told about Dad, and that I was an airman's son. He had served with ambition to fulfil a tradition, and gave up his life and fun. With the pride of his nation and their brave dedication, in Bomber Command he was one. Sent to stop the machines and the ways and the means of the four that they called the Hun. However, casting ethics aside, High Command did decide area bombing would have to be done. For this task then belied, with convention denied, the whirlwind was begun. With honour all spent, and his loyalty bent, his conscience then twisted and spun. So he finished it all, yet his way held no call for his memory any to shun. It's a long time now since I found out quite how he made that stark final choice. Yet year upon year I shed a small tear and ponder the thoughts he might voice. Many lives and dreams ended when traditions upended in the war that had to be won. Though he is never quite known, I am ever his own, and proud to be his airman's son. Now that was a poem uh, dedicated to the, the poet's father, and I think it epitomises everything about Bomber Command, why I'm so passionate about it. And that was about squadron leader Maurice Roy Skeet. Now, Skeet, squadron leader Skeet was, uh, was air flight commander um, on the 8th of May, 1942. Um, to the 16th of June 1942 and he was posted to number 10 squadron um, and what's really sad is that you know he'd been on ops uh, for a month as a, as a squadron leader yeah and it's obviously about an airman's son sorry an airman's a, a father an airman who, who perished um, but what's what's really sad in particular about this case is that on the 16th of June 1942 his father didn't report duty that day okay. now the initial thoughts and feelings might be that he was lacking in moral fibre and he might have disappeared and, and, and gone on the run because the mental strain was was unbearable for some of these yeah, men. Yeah. Um, and he was actually found dead from a gunshot wound um, at the Neves Meyer Hotel in, in York on the 26th of June 1942 um, and the coroner recorded a verdict of suicide. Oh, God. Um, yeah, so, you know, his father took his own life and he, he, he and that was it. He was he was just 24 years of age and he'd, he'd been on ops ops for less than a month you know um and this is why the night run was so special and bomber command to me is so special and i think on days like today it's important to remember these things because it's you know we, we often think about people you know especially in bomber command perhaps blown yeah. up by flak um you know shut down by night fighters but what we don't recall enough is the mental toll that wore down on, on not only on bomber command but the wafts the ground crew the infantry everybody yeah, yeah. and we don't have to talk about those mental strains and People like squadron leader Royski, uh, Maurice Royski, sorry, will will you know th their names are long forgotten, but 
for that man, you know, by all accounts from what I read, he, he couldn't live with the guilt of what he was doing to people on the ground. Um, he'd been around oh, London, he'd been around Coventry, he, he couldn't live with the guilt of that. But he also couldn't deal with the sheer terror and the contrasts of day-to-day life. And I think that that's why these events are so fascinating, because you get a real small, small glimpse into yeah. this this day-to-day mental contrasting battle of, of being in, in what many of them describe as absolute hell, you know, yeah. 18,000 feet above the ground with bursting flak and aircraft blowing up all around you and coming back and the next day you're out in Scunthorpe with, with the boys, you know, and the wafts and, uh, and that's it. And, you know, squadron leader Skeet couldn't, couldn't stand that and uh, sadly took his own life. So, you know, crazy. I, and that's why it's, it's so important. I just, we, we can't imagine it. Certainly. I think I read something a while back. It, you just said something there. It just resonated a, a memory, um, a story or an article about, an air crew or an airman, sorry, who'd been hiding out in Dresden, and it was one of the raids. You know, one of the he obviously obviously hit Dresden big time. And when he came back to the UK, he came back. I won't say conscientious objector as such, but he came back with a very different mindset mm-hmm. about what his job role was and what was expected of him. Um, because he'd because he'd obviously been in that raid. Or one of the raids. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know whether I lost words actually. Uh, that was quite poignant. Well, I mean, what we should remember, I mean, and specifically, I want to pay a tribute to Bomber Command, and that's not because the other people don't matter, but you know, I, yeah. that that event yeah. was was very very recent. Um, it was three four days ago, so it's very fresh mm-hmm. in my mind. Yeah, and I think what's special to mention about Bomber Command, you know, there's 125 thousand aircrew that took part throughout the war. Um, over 55,000 were killed, which is a 44% death rate. A further 8,500 were wounded, 10,000 became prisoners, and only a third of crews made it through completely unscathed. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. And, I, and, you know, and going back to this mental strain on the crews, why, why why that was so difficult, put it this way, and I don't know how, how my mind would take it, no. is losses were estimated at an average. If you, if you take over the entire war, losses were around 6.5%. Now, you know, that vary between 5 and 10% across each operation, sometimes a little bit higher. Anything over 10% was, was pretty traumatic for, for Bomber Command. Yeah. Now, you have a tour of 30 ops on Bomber Command, um, a minimum. You know, a lot of some some crews did, you know, three tours, which is just, I, I don't know how they had the mental strength. But <laughs> anyway, I digress. Um, so depending on your out- outlook, if you are an air crew member, you might look at that 5 to 10% per operation and say, I've got a 94% chance of survival. Every mm. single operation, you know, those odds sound pretty good. Okay. If you flip it on the other side of the coin and you look at it and you say, right, I've got 30 ops. And let's just say that the, the chances of, 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 you know, getting the chop of 5% per yeah. op. Not that this necessarily works out mathematically, but you, you might say, okay, let's times 30 by 5%. What do we get? We get 150%. So you could look at it as you are mathematically guaranteed to be killed as well. Yeah, you know, and obviously the stats don't necessarily show that, but for forty-four percent, I mean, at some occasions in Bomber Command, it was as high as fifty-five, sixty percent. You know, in wow. in early to mid parts of the war, so that mental strain, and that's and that's what I wanted to really emphasise with that poem there, and and why I think Bomber Command to me is so important to show both the aircrew side of things and the the ground crew side, um, the evening side. You know, we're going to Petwood next weekend to spend the weekend in in the Petwood, and you know, I will make our duty there to 
not well to have a few drinks, but to to talk about these events and to talk about the mental strain that these guys had because that's what you know Remembrance Week is all about, and that's what yeah. reenacting is all about as well. It's going to be a magic time. Looking forward to it. I see you've uh, already started uh, cleaning your brass, as I have. And your boots. Yes, doing things. little bits. Yeah, but I mean, I've I bought a new tunic for uh, oh, for you know one. another A or <laughs> another OA one. So I've got to put some. Um, some stripes on that, and then I and then I got a Royal Australian Air Force uniform yesterday, wow. so I have to wear that as well. So, yeah, really getting there with the uh, the Air Force kit for sure. Nice one. Are you you're not a sewing guy though, Richie? Are you oh yes. Sew that? Are you oh, yes. kidding? Yes, oh, yes. God. I'm sewing. Yep. Yeah. I'm getting quite good now. I hate doing it, but I'm getting quite good at it now. <laughs> but anyway, I digress. But yeah, the night road it was absolutely Help. fantastic. We got some amazing imagery with, with the Lancaster, and Joe struck home at the most first time wearing oh. full flight kit. And I saw the pictures. Amazing. And you ended up on a few websites too. We did, yeah. Um, I mean, it was great. It was really, really great to um, to put the flight kit on. But what struck me most was when, you know, I had the opportunity to climb. I mean, I've been in just trained on a, uh, mm. for a taxi run, which, which was fantastic. But yeah. I was able to sort of ju- just get just inside the aircraft. And climbing into that aircraft and trying, you know, with a seat harness on, with a parachute, wow. you know, hitting you in the backside is so tricky. And it's, you know, walking around in that kit is so cumbersome. I, I just got, I've got no idea how those men got out when the lanks were corkscrewing and going down in flames and, you know, climbing out of escape hatches. I've just got absolutely no idea. Did you absolutely manage to not. get past that uh, that central strut, is it, they call it? The main spa. We, the we main didn't spa. go that, in, inside that far. So, I mean, it, it's a bit difficult on events like the night run. Um, yeah. I mean, one, it's it's not our aircraft, so we don't want to just climb in and climb all over it. Um, <laughs> but secondly, there's sort of lots of taxi runs going on throughout the day. And, okay. You know, to get a full air crew inside a Lancaster, uh, an air crew of seven, Inside the length in full wow. kit and into positions, probably going to take you a good half an hour, 40 minutes. Oh my so, God. you know, haven't quite got that time Bloody available, available, really. You know, and it is a working aircraft during the day. It's taxing a lot. And the last thing you want to go and do is break yeah. something uh, when it's due to taxi down the runway for, you know, 5,000 people in, in the next half an hour, you know, so. Oh my God. But yeah, but yeah, we were very grateful just to be up close and personal with it anyway. You know, it's always a, a real, real privilege, I think. Fabulous. And Andrew was in good spirit, I guess. Didn't get a chance to catch up with Andrew, no, but, um, you know, we catch up with Andrew fairly regularly on the podcast, have a little chat, but, you know, I think credit must go out to that team again. Every time I visit the site, it just yeah. gets better and better and better. It's it's amazing. <laughs> the mosquito was running, you know, the billet hood. Oh my God, the billet hoods. I must talk about this. Go on. Um, you know, the, the billet hoods, and, and luckily they, they let some of the guys stay in the billet hoods. Mm. And, it, you know, it's it's basically a, a, a museum piece that they just let the guys stay in and put the kit in. <laughs> I've heard about so, this. So, you know, we're, we're sat in the billet huts and, you know, the public are coming in and, like, looking at us through the glass, like, oh, there's people staying in here. And it's like this living immersive exhibit. And I often talk about immersive events and, like, this is my kind of immersive event. Being in wartime billet huts, you know, being out there with a the Lancaster and flying kit, oh, it's just amazing. But anyway, you know, I've, I've spent 15 minutes talking about my well, lovely experiences and passions. It, it, man. it passionately leads into what you were talking about, kind of standards. I mean, we mm, are living yes. exhibitions when we go away and certainly at um, another oh, um, location, but East Kirby. Kirkby. You know what? I, knew I thought you'd got there. I thought you'd, I thought, Kirby. I thought we were getting somewhere, Andy. East we're, Kirby. So we've got East Kirkby and yes. we've got this, <laughs> we've got this, this uh, immersive events, but also obviously the guys and the girls who take part in this, we know them well and they are super, super keen and super fab at what they do. But it leads into actually, as you say, standards, I guess, mm. you know, 
how far? I mean, you, you've just bought more kit this week. I haven't bought anything for ages. It's not that I've been look, not look, looked. It's just that I, I don't know what it is. It's, you're a collector. I buy it because I need it for a, an event or an impression, and it's what it is. I buy little trinkets and I buy little things that I want to store away and keep you you're seeing the bigger picture, I guess, and going, you know what? That's going to be worth a bit more money in about five years' time, and I'm going to invest yes, in yes that right no. now because I've seen it and I want it. Because, you know, there's five types of collectors. I've done this as a dissertation, right, and I won't go into that, but certainly you as a whole, oh, God, you're on your own, I'll be honest. <laughs> oh, you're a different entity. But standards, you know, that's where we were going to go with this, you know. and We were, we were. So we're going to talk about the, so I guess where, where this came from is we we spoke to, I mean, again, a fantastic time speaking mm. to uh, three lovely ladies uh, in in the hobby as part of our sort of special focus on, on yeah, females and reenacting. I mean, and for a start, I think what it showed is it that females by, you know, pound for pound blow men out <laughs> the hobby. You know, in terms of quality, standards, research, Possibly, yeah. passion, mm. they completely blow the average guy out of the water. They really, really do. You know, if you were to look at it like, you know, human to human, there's just no comparison at all. And I guess what it made us think about is we talked to Hannah about reenacting in the States. Uh, yeah. We talked to Emmy about reenacting in, in Europe and Poland and the Czech Republic. And it got us thinking about, well, what's the standard like in the UK? Because from the outside in, I think... People see, you know, if you're not in the UK, you, you they see a certain high standard. They see um, the the progression, yeah. the build up, the um, the presence of, of strong quality imagery, content, videos, you know, social media pages of reenactors in the UK, but they don't necessarily see the full picture that we might see. Uh, they're not immersed day to day with people in the hobby. So I guess what, what, what we're going to discuss now is where is the UK? in in terms of reenacting you know in terms of standards in worldwide are we as good as we think we are or are we really terrible you know what does the reenacting landscape look like in the uk and and we haven't just talked about this so we haven't had a chance to sort of align our strategy so i'm I'm quite interested and excited to hear how our stories or thoughts might align or or contrast Yeah. yeah i think um we've hit the bar high with our previous guests to be fair and it's if you correlate the information it's they are the pinnacle of what they are so in terms of where they're from we've probably made out that the country base is oh wow they're totally on top of it and maybe you know they are maybe maybe they are and everyone is but i'm sure we have what we we call brit we call some reenactors farbs you know we do people who just go a little bit too extra with silliness and the wrong impression and and I'm sure it probably goes on elsewhere in other nations, other countries. But we did hit the, the bar high with our previous guests and their knowledge and understanding about why they were doing it and their motivation. I call it a golden circle um, in my world. When you know so much information, what's the golden circle? You know, you're the center and it, you radiate off, but you also bring in. And it's this golden aspect. I'm talking gibberish now, by the way. Um, I think, for me, the UK being quite insular, I guess, and only been to France once with you guys as a reenactor. Okay. 
I saw some interesting views and sites, but with the UK as a as a whole, it's it's an interesting. Where would you cost. put it? So I'm going to we're going to start, I'm, I'm we're start at a very <laughs> stop yeah. sitting on the fence for fuck's sake. I am. So I am. <laughs> so we're going to start in a very very broad <laughs> sense, right? Come on. So right now, don't think about it too much. You've got to give. Great Britain, a, a, one to, a mark out of 10, 1 to 10, 1 being absolutely dog shit, never pick up a uniform again, and 10 on full marks, you're doing six. it perfectly. 6. 6. Okay, 6. I'd right, say about okay. 6. I'm going to give it a 7. Okay. I'm going to give it a 7. Okay. And I think we should dive into that. So where, you know, let, let's go to that next layer down. So where where's the 6 coming from, Andy? The 6 comes from... If you haven't got anything nice to say, don't say it. So no one ever goes online and says, that's amazing. Oh, wow. Everyone always says, that's all the shit. And all you've got is these mm. fob fest sites that pop up that everyone jumps in on and um, videos and pictures. But no one actually ever really, well, no, that's the wrong thing to say. People don't necessarily go out the, out the way to say, that's outstanding. Apart from a couple of Instagram accounts that I follow, because I try not follow the fob fests, um, don't appreciate them. I don't like what they do. I don't like how they deal with certain characters. But it resonates in your mind. It's like a bad review on um, TripAdvisor. Mm. No one ever goes on there to write nice things. They always write Mm. bad things. So I say a six only because when I go away to different events, um, I'm going to go back all them years when I started out at War and Peace. I'd look around and see these amazing things. And to me, they were amazing. But then someone next to me would say, oh, actually, you know what? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And you always remember the negative, but I never remember the bloody positives except mm. for the recent groups that I've been privy mm-hmm. to. Mm-hmm. And I've not seen anything wrong with them. I'm sure a learned friend like yourself might say, actually, you know what? Meh, meh, meh. But... I can't see anything wrong and, and I've questioned yeah. it and I've looked and I've yeah. asked and the knowledge comes through. Yeah. Well, I think you've you just mentioned a really interesting point and, and it's, a, it's a while since we've, we've yeah. gave our proverbial advice out to the, the, the reenacting community, you know, as, as we often Don't do. do that. Um, not that anybody should listen to us for nah. any particular reason, but anyway, unfiltered opinion. But, but I do think <laughs> you're right in a way um, in unfiltered opinion. Very right. But you know, you're right. You are definitely right. It's, it's very rare that we compliment each other in the hobby. You know, and not yeah. not that we look for it. I think, and I, I genuinely think that really good reenactors don't compliment other good reenactors because it's because, as you mentioned, they've set the bar so high, and it's an expectation that you meet that. Yeah. So it's almost like you're just you're just meeting this the, the precedents that are set out there as amb- ambitions and objectives, and when you 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 reach them and you achieve them, it's like okay, cool, you've you've done what's expected. So I I totally get that. But but what I also appreciate is. I don't do it either, you know. I'm, I'm there on the weekend, and some of the guys, I'm like, "Fuck me!" Like, you know, like I'm gonna say that the weekend that I was just on, I don't think I've ever been in the presence of such reenacting greatness. And I'm not saying that out of an ass kissing thing. I'm no, just saying no. it as as everybody that I was with, that I was surrounded by, hmm. apart from one chap who hadn't polished his buttons, which mightily pissed me off. <gasps> but anyway, an older gent. I'll come. I'll come on to that in a bit. Um, but anyway, just the, the level of independence and independent quality, you don't have to drive these people. You don't have to, you know, walk them down the street, smacking their ass to make sure they've polished the buttons or polished the shoes yeah, or sewed the, yeah. the, their insignia on right. Everybody is just correct and knows their stuff, mm. you know, anyway, but what, what I'm trying to get at is that I totally agree in that in the hobby in Britain, we don't compliment each other enough. 
And your point on Farbfest, I think, is a reason to a degree why the UK or the Brit or Britain is at a seven is because because of those exact things we've just mentioned in that the expectations are so high, in that we belittle each other if we're not correct, we yeah. try to educate. And I think that is one of the reasons to a degree why I think there is a really, really strong elite. You know, if you take the top 10% of reenacting elite, it's fucking outstanding. You yeah. know, I'm looking at, I'm not going to name names out there because most of our listeners won't know individual people, but the lot people know who I'm talking about in the British hobby. There are, there are people out there and I would say that there are probably five to 10 reenactors out there. I would say in the UK and Britain that are setting new precedents and boundaries every fucking year. Wow. The people exploring niche units, the people improving the, the accuracy, they're changing mentalities. They're, you know, they're getting deeper <sighs> than just the basics of, Oh, here is what a book tells me to wear in the uniform. They're recreating original imagery. You know, and I was very proud to be a part of that at, at, at Duxford. We, you know, I posted that image on my on my Instagram the other yeah. the day, and that is the level of detail I'm talking about. Wow. Is people going out there, bringing magnifying glasses and bringing, you know, uh, cutting crusts off bread and putting it on a plate to recreate a picture? You know, it's <laughs> like, you know, and and people might laugh and say it's it's anarchy, no. you know, whatever. But I'm like, that's what we're about. About bringing history to life, and that's yeah, it. So anyway, that's that's, that's that's just one of my thoughts as to why it's a seven. You know, there's reasons why it's not a ten, but but that's it, Andy. Right, you shoot. <laughs> I um, you said a few things there that's made me. I'll be honest, you know, I'll, I'll be dog honest about it. It's, it's a bit embarrassing mm. from my angle. I've always done it as a unit. I've done the hobby because I enjoy being around the lads and the girls, mm. and just loving history and living history but when you said that word about new boundaries and expanding and taking it to the next level what is the next level and i always thought i was always quite, i was quite good and listened to my mentors and tried to do the best i could but actually you know without obviously buying 100% original and then more you know what is the best you know i mean you're saying about portraying units that have not been done before i mean we know norja could ally of ours you know he does the norwegian aspect and mm -hmm. i know there's other people out there but from a brit point of view he goes out there a little bit extra and does what he mm -hmm. does hence why he's called norge i guess um kieran um i think i don't know um so gonna, can I, I'm gonna I'm gonna come in the back of your comment there. Yeah, go and, on. And and you you said a few phrases which I've I've actually wrote down. Right. Oh, okay. And I always and, talk about and, and they're they're reasons why it's why it's not higher than a seven for me. And that is because underneath for me that that ten fifteen percent and I'm gonna call them uh, uh, elite reenactors. The mm. you might call them anoraks. You might call them whatever you want. You might call them losers. I don't know. Geeks. And, you know. And, and and I'll be honest, I feel like I'm I'm just I'm just starting to to creep up to the bottom of them now. You know, if we were, if we were in the football league right now, and, the, and that was the Premier Premier League of uh, of reenactors, I'm just I'm hoping to get promoted into that league. That that's, First that's where I'm hoping to be. Nice. Anyway, Premier League, um, Champions League, World Cup. Anyway, <laughs> Pele, Messi, Ronaldo. Anyway, I digress. So, um, you see, so you said a few things there where it's, it's interesting. About interesting. People people talk about. Uh, oh, we can do away with the lads and, you know, yeah. we do it to remember the boys and camaraderie and good weekends and, you know, which which are all there. But my yeah. mentality has changed from getting away for a weekend with lads in kit to preserving the memory That's of good. the men 
that I'm wearing of those uniforms. Yeah. And the, the good times and the fun is a byproduct. You know, my my initial uh, objective, you know, my ambitions were to have a yeah. good weekend. Now my initial ambitions are to preserve their memory, prolong their history, you know, educate, and then to have a good evening after that, you know. And I think there is a large portion, probably the next 20, 30% underneath that 10% of people that, as you mentioned, think they're quite good, don't necessarily explore other impressions. Not that that's a bad thing, no. but what is a bad thing is when those people perhaps get a basic kit list together and that's it then. Kit list is together, that's it set, that's it, bang. You don't do anything else. You do mm. the same impression every fucking time. You put your same tents up, you get your same display out and you don't explore something different. And that's it. You just, you accept that you think you're quite good, but realistically, and I'm going to give again a perfect example. I'm going to, and I'm going to shoot down some of our own friends here. And I'm going to say that there's people that have been reenacting the second Rangers battalion in some cases for 10, 15 years. I bet my house that probably a lot of our friends that have been reenacting the second Rangers for 10 or 15 years don't know more than a few pages or sentences of history you know not all not all and i think that's one of the reasons why reenacting isn't quite where it should be because i think that the majority of decent reenactors mm. are just not as clued up as they think they are or should be as well you know it's things that are passed down through reenactorisms through saving private ryan through you know a couple of books here or there but i don't think it's for me it's this constant this constant evolvement and, and seeking of improvement, you know, continual self-improvement and research. And I think that isn't there for CPD. a large proportion of reenactors. Yeah. It's a know? CPD. It's like a, mm. a continuous or, a, um, what do you call it? Um, professional development. So I guess. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 Um, I, I know it's no exactly, it's exactly the same. It's I know exactly, what, exactly same. what you mean. And if reenacting is a business, you need to encourage your staff. Yeah. You don't stand still. You move on and you work forward, and and someone's home because I've just heard them <laughs> shout <laughs> the door. Um, and yeah, wow, your you, your pennies are just dropping. I've got a penny just here. Here we go. Listen to that. Ding. There you go. That's a yeah. penny dropped. It's just dropped for me. I mean, yeah, for many years I I reenacted uh, the Second Rangers. I've now got into other aspects of reenacting it but you know your encouragement and watching you develop but also listen to you talk about what and how you're doing things it does edge one and you don't need to folks if you're listening from home have lots of cash to do this no it's not about cash no it's not it's not about buying 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 it's about doing it right and getting the impression right yes richie you do buy a lot of kits i must admit but i need to find my uh, mojo and get it back and be one of those elitism the, the, the elite you know one of the champion league as you call it not the Pele or whatever you I don't watch football anyone anyone will know me <laughs> um but the thing is I I get it um I totally totally get it it's it's there it's that it's the quality and be as good as the best what's the saying you know be as good as the best you can and all that you know you made it's me think you made me think good, about good, good example you know we, we had a conversation yeah. about a month ago a month ago now right and um so the our, our, our group leader you know one of the groups i'm in the group leader was was we were we, we've been discussing um <clears throat> yeah british airborne smocks for some yeah. time yeah <laughs> 
and we've been using uh, what we considered for a while to be the, the best on the market, which is a shoot and scoot smock. Yeah. Um, what I don't know what I mean by this is what's commercially available that a group of thirty people can buy at a moment's notice. That's mm-hmm. that's what I mean by commercially available. Yeah. Not so much originals and whatnot. Anyway, so we'd been discussing the idea of exploring Steve Kiddle smocks. Because in my opinion, right now, in terms of what you can buy, they're the best. Mm. But it's very difficult to get a hold of them. Now, he's he's a great example for me of, of that that next thirty percent of, of reenactors. Yeah, it's people, and and the when when Dale and I raised this point of perhaps we should look at exploring improving our smocks, the reaction was of you know upset. I've spent money on this. Why do we need new ones? You know. Um, this isn't a group decision. And, I, and I'm being really open here and talking about this, but I yeah, don't mind doing fine. it because no. it's representing it. It's showing it. And and I think that for me is just a perfect example of the contrast between the top 10, 15% of people in the hobby and the next level down. The top 10, 15% are saying, we can improve on this. There's a, there's a different option. We can make this better. And the people underneath that are going, well, why do I need to make it better? What I've got is okay. Yeah. You know, yeah. and it's that difference between okay and excellent. And I think because mm. the excellent is only 10, 15% and the okay is 30, 40%, there's your seven for me. There's your six, seven mark. Yeah. Business. It's, it's, it's economics, you know, you, it, as is. it is. And then I think tie that alongside the other thing that I'm seeing a lot of is people who are very interested in doing new impressions, searching new things, exploring new avenues. Yeah. But when you have conversations about the price of something or where to find something, the the reactions are just, oh, yeah. I don't want to do that. I don't want to spend that. I haven't got the budget for that. You know, and I have this all the time. And it's it's just sort of a bit like, before you explore something, yeah. why don't you research and find out the estimated costs and either avoid it or go in? Because, you know, for me, there's you can't, you can't like flying kit, RA flying kit. You can't, there, there is no way of doing it half-assed. You can't. You, you're committing three to five thousand pounds and that is it you yeah know, there's no way that you can do that on a budget and it's similar just with with other elements as well and i'm I'm seeing a lot more of that as well is just and i'll come on to demographics in a little bit but that's the other thing for me at the moment as well there's just a larger portion of people that see the gucci imagery the gucci kit the great groups out there you know they see these amazing events they want to be a part of it and then when it comes down to it they just either want to borrow a kit or they, or they don't want to spend the money on it yeah. it's a bit like well you can't have it both ways and there aren't many groups who take that approach from the side uh, from the start. So those groups who know they are, there are mm-hmm. a few. We know one or two, and it is a case of obviously making that stance and going forward with it. Um, I've certainly started to try and explore my, uh, you know, my my impression further. Mm-hmm. But the idea of for me, I've taken the the ordinary omen as an aspect because I think, well, actually right now in my personal life, I can't afford to go out there and buy Bomber Command mm-hmm. kit and certainly go out there and justify it. But that's the thing. That's the, that's the good thing. Buy what you can, mm-hmm. exactly. you know, and do the research and do it well. Cause you know what? You can get it to a minimum, but if you want to go out there and get the Gucci, as you say, and you want to be Bomber Command, Hurricane Pilot, whatever it might be. Wow. You know, don't go to the cheaper stores and buy the repo kit and look very it's, fresh. And it's not going to happen, is it? I mean, there isn't even repro kit for a lot of it out there. You know, no. so 
that's the thing. And it's you put your right, and there's, stuff. No, and there's it is, and, and there's nothing wrong. <clears throat> there's nothing wrong with it with a ground crew impression or something. You know, I think my 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 point being that yeah, yeah. I, there is still some of those 10% of, of reenactors who will do a ground crew impression of an air crew impression. And that's absolutely fine. But I guess my point being that 10%, you can say to them, what are you betraying? And they'll mm. say, I am ground crew. This is what my role is. Um, I'm supporting the squadron by doing X, Y, and Z. I work across X amount of air, aircraft. Um, they can tell you about the squadrons, what they were doing. You know, they, they understand yeah. that. Whereas, the the percentage underneath that are just going to say, oh, I don't know, I'm just wearing the uniform, hmm. you know, and that's what lets it down. And I think that that's part of my other thing. So on, on the other side of, can you tell I've got a list? <laughs> on the other side of people that don't want to spend the money, there are people that don't want to do the research. Yeah. Now, and I'm going to, I'm going to put this out there and people aren't going to like it at all. And I've had this conversation with other reenactors, <laughs> but there has cool. been a huge, there's been a huge increase in the amount of RAF reenactors over the last six to 12 months. Okay. And I'm not saying that as a bad thing. You know, I think it's great that the RF has been recognized. I think mm-hmm. it's brilliant. Um, what do I think the reasons are for that in British reenacting? Um, I think there's a number of reasons. I think the, um, you know, the hundred anniversary of the RF, I think did, did a lot for it. I think, um, there's, there's always that fascination with it. It continues to grow. I think people moving over from the U S side to the British side is, is part of that. Um, what do I think, a good a good amount of that this encouragement is and i mean this in the most modest and non-arrogant way possible but i genuinely think that i was talking about it on the podcast has had a bit of an impact and i genuinely believe that from the messages that we've had from people yeah and i also believe a bigger reason for it as some of the events like duxford ek the imagery that's posted around from that the groups like ops the groups like tail and charlie's out there yeah. that are doing such good jobs that i think it's inspiring others to to, to follow suit and to do it I also think, what? sorry, oh, I was going to say, I also think that people listen to us and realize, actually, you know, we, we are both ends of the spectrum. I'm who I am. I'm not as, I, I'll put out there, I'm not as committed as you are in buying kits. You do far more research than I do. And that's what this, this team works. You know, you've got someone who's really so passionate, dedicated, and is literally full on, <laughs> I'd say 99.9% at it. Whereas me at the other end, I enjoy it, mm-hmm. but I'm I'm that kind of steam loco just coming up behind you. <laughs> yeah, but but you know we're not we're not asking everybody to be 110 no, no, no. miles an hour, 110 percent because because it's impossible. You know, it's life. We we say it's a hobby. It isn't it isn't a full time job. And, and often I have to remind myself that. Yeah. Um. Don't don't let this take over your world because it does. It takes off my full time job, my family mm. life, everything. Um. And that's a different conversation for another time. But anyway. Um, yeah. And where I was going with that, you know, a lot of new people that are in the hobby, and in the hobby, sorry, entering the, the RF world and, and in different impressions. But but what I'm also finding from that is there's a lot of requests for help and assistance and guidance, which which I really enjoy actually helping people out with. And you know, I, I was very very grateful for the help I received from from a number of people in the hobby, and you know, um, yeah. made sure that I paid my thanks on the weekend for that. But what I'm what I'm seeing is is people who want advice on kit and want advice on the impression. And when you ask them, what are you interested in? Where, where's the passion come from? You know, what do you want to display? Talk, talk to me about what, you, what your biggest passions are and what you're most interested in. I don't know. You just tell me what I should buy. And it's like, what? You know, where, where is your, th- these are human beings. These are human beings that, we, you know, I wrote that poem. These are men that felt they need to commit suicide yeah. because of the strain and the trauma that they went under. 
and you just saying, oh, you just tell me what to wear and I'll buy it is ultimately disrespectful. I, I genuinely believe to the people that wore that uniform and it just shows that you've got no purpose of doing this other than wanting to fit in aesthetically. Yeah. You know, and that's a big reason that it's not past that seven for me. And and, and like I mentioned, what comes after that is he's all the kit for you. That's all accurate. And the next thing after that is I don't want to pay that. That's too expensive. Oh, 70 pounds for a shirt, not paying that. And it's just sort of like, you know, and that that's another reason for that seven for me. It's just that second echelon of good reenactors who explore new impressions that are used to buying US wool shirts for 20 quid and suddenly find that they've got to spend £100 on a, on a side cap or £80 on an original shirt or yeah, £150 yeah. on a pair of boots are suddenly going, I don't want to spend that because this isn't my main passion. Yeah. You know? So that's that's my next that's my next reason I think why why people have uh, why we're not getting past that seven I think um, genuinely speaking I've got lots of positives to mention though I genuinely do you know and I think what what I will say on that as well and just I, I don't, I'll let you have you say in a second Andy no no you you carry on is I'm, I'm on my crusade as usual you are that's fine but I, I I do think you know a lot of that this demographic though I think there was a there was a split a split I think the the younger proportion and, and a majority of reenactors are, are much stronger. I think if you take a, a yeah. demographic cut of, of 20 to 32, 35, I think the, the high standard of reenacting, I think between the ages of 40 to 60, I think that's where we see some really, really poor. And don't get me wrong. Some of the best reenactors are still in that age group. And I'm not slating that or being ages in any way in particular, no, no, no. but I, I think that a lot of, or a, a huge part of people in that demographic of 40 to 60, what I call them the poppy memers. Okay. <laughs> poppy memers. And I you know, yes, and I and I mean this in the most respectful way possible on Remembrance Day. But they're the kind of reenactors who on social media will see any kind of meme or random fact about World War Two. It doesn't have to be factual at all. And they'll share it with a random lest we forget. But these are the kind of people that will then wander out on a weekend to their local cenotaph in post war uniforms with unpolished buttons. And wearing DFC flying metal, you know, DFC ribbons, and 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 these are the people that also don't know the difference between the few and the dambusters. They think they're the same people, you know. And I call these people the poppy memers because that's what they're like. You've seen it, Facebook sharing the shite memes of a Lancaster flying over a poppy field, and it's like, ooh, something wartime related, and that is the level of their interest and in education in World War Two. And it's and it is literally just what is being you know, put to them by the very popular World War II culture, Lancasters and Spitfires. That's how deep they get. If I said to them, what's the Bolton Paul, Def- Bolt- sorry, the Bolton Paul Defiant, they'd be like, what the hell is one of them? They'd have no idea. If they saw one, they'd probably just say it was a, a Spitfire painted black with a gun on the back. <laughs> they wouldn't have a, they wouldn't have a clue, you know, and, and that's, that's, that's the, the, the next big issue for me in yeah. British reenacting is, the poppy memes, the age group, and it's you know there are, there are poppy memes and you know earlier on in the hobby as well. But it's that it's that thing of interest in World War Two, but not enough interest to go beyond the Lancaster over the poppy field. That's you know that's that's it for me. That's my final negative. Over over some you forgot the sunset. I have yes indeed. Yeah. Wow. Uh, well, folks. <laughs> God, that's all, folks. That's <laughs> uh, yeah. You said a few things there, Richie. And uh, do you know what? It, it, 
I get it. I, I totally get it, actually. Um, there was a few things you said, and I thought, God, he's talking about me. <laughs> I'm not. But I know I'm not, you're not. Because you, you know I would have told you. If, if, if I thought you were a poppy meme, I would have said, you goddamn poppy meme. I haven't quite anything up this year. You are not. I don't tend to. Um, I've been reevaluating where I am and where I stand within the reenactment circle. And um, I think the Petwood bash that we have next weekend. God came so quick um when you said that before i, I looked at my calendar and went oh my god oh so god. so quick um it's going to be a defining moment for me i want to get it right i want to meet the guys and the girls i want to enjoy myself i want to ponder around and walk around the gardens and reflect and i think for me that'll be my reflection for the forthcoming season next year mm-hmm. where i sit where i stand where i want to be um, I think COVID and the pandemic has had a profound effect on not only our only careers and working life, but also even this hobby and where we actually mm-hmm. want to fit in it. Um, and I don't know. I want to talk to people. I want to ask questions. I want to mm-hmm. see where we all sit and stand. And again, going back to that question, you know, where we sit in the community, within the reenactment community, you know, as a whole. Um, I think we're going to see a massive change, massive change within history, uh, our history, you know, our community. And we will see, and you know what, folks, we will be doing some uh, broadcasts from the Petwood as we did in Normandy through our Instagram channel and showing everyone what the hell is happening and how we're doing it. It's going to be good fun. Um, and people will be blown away, especially those in the States and the rest of the UK and Europe. They'll think, this is a place to be. This is where I want to go. This is what I want to do and how I want to do it, most importantly, and doing it correctly because I know for a fact that we've got some quality um, people coming. So I can't wait for it. I really can't. Yeah. Should be good fun. And I have, to, I have got some positive things to say about the British Yeah. And yeah. outside of those elite members that, that I've talked about, I mentioned the youngsters, the, you know, the 20, 20 to 30 odd. I think the age group there is fantastic. I think the people coming in at that age, um, I think what, what's really important and people have to realize there are more ways to learn and research yeah. than ever before, ever before. You know, 40 years ago, 30 years ago, you had to go to the library. There was very little documentaries on yes. demand. You know, you had, to, you had to catch the TV at the right time. You can go, you know, perfect example, pre-night run, Every night, I'm watching a different, you know, 40 minute long YouTube original collation of footage from from Bomber Command Airfield in World War Two on YouTube as I'm eating my tea. You know, <laughs> um, you can you know you can go to your library, you can get eBooks now, you can buy books on Amazon, you can watch Netflix. There are more feature films than ever before. There are podcasts, million. There are thousands of podcasts out there. James Holland, Al Murray. There are World War Two podcasts. There, yeah. there are so many out there. You can, you, there are, the Imperial War Museum archive is live to look at. Search RAF World War II Imperial War Museum archives. You will find thousands of pictures. If you want to know what Mosquito Crew looks like, go and search Mosquito Crew on the Imperial War Museum. You, you know, there there are Facebook groups, hundreds of them. You know, the, the resources out there for reenactors are infinite. But what I'm seeing is people I just cannot be fucking bothered. And here I am. I'm having my 10 minutes before the end fucking breakdown as Nothing I do. Nothing wrong with that. <laughs> but here it is. And I'm going to fucking break it down again, right? 
all of you people who message me and say, what does a navigator wear with his service dress uniform? You know? Yeah. Before you ask me, fucking use Google. Go to Imperial War Museum. Do some fucking research for yourself. Do you know what I mean? Because one, I don't have all the answers. Neither do other people. You know, this is all about uplifting ourselves and uplifting other people. Get out there and research. Think about the squadron leader I mentioned earlier. These men, it's Remembrance Week, for God's sake. You know, stop just playing it off as this tiny little thing and just seeking help from everybody else because you can't be bothered. Do not put that uniform on if you're not willing to remember and put enough effort in for those men that died wearing it. And that is literally where it comes down to for me and what it boils down to. And I'm damn proud of every single young man and woman that I see in the hobby, 20 to 30 odd years old, doing it absolutely fantastically. You know, when I see a 20 year old out there doing the research, watching YouTube videos, buying books, listening to podcasts and telling me things that I don't know and telling me that things in my kit aren't quite accurate, I am bowled over and I'm so proud that those people are going to be moving the hobby forward and they're the kind of people that are going to take over from the poppy memers and turn that seven into a nine there you you go but it needs that middle area of people like you and i and a lot of our friend group to continue on this path to get this quality up you know we need to ban railway events all that sort of stuff we know that but it will continue to improve if we can continue on this path of of what i've just mentioned there which is indulgence in research and resources that that are infinitely available around us yeah, you know, yeah. and anybody who says I don't know, I can't find this, I can't understand that, you know, you're just you're not looking hard enough. You're really not looking hard enough. You know, simple as that. But it is, and I, and, and you know, I see my friends, I see your attitude changing, I see, mm. I see others wanting to do it right out there, you know, and that's what gives you know that brings warmth to my heart, and it it it, it gives me faith in that the hobby is trying to move forward. Because I see people wanting to do it right, asking before they purchase, is this the right thing? Whereas before they might have just purchased it and done it with yeah, it anyway. Yeah. And let me get this straight. You know, somebody checking kit with you, is this the right thing? Is a different thing to, you know, approaching somebody and saying, I want to do a service just uniform. Where should I start? You know, it's like, right, well, come on. You know, okay. there's little slight nuances, which, you know, you should always help and ask your friends with, or, you know, if you've exhausted your opportunities and your research, then, then fine. But anyway, whew. There we got go. That my Are you okay with that? Got that okay. on my system. I am. Richie's recap. But I like to get these things out there. You know, I get this. That's what this is about. It's, it's about getting yeah. things off our chest and and communicating with the hobby. And I would love to know other people's opinions on this as well. You know, um, I mean, we should go into railway events and stuff because that's that's where the British hobby really does let itself down. You go to some of these events and there was such naff. There's, there's still, yeah. there's still, still about a third of the hobby is. 80-year-olds wearing 101st Airborne uniforms. Stop it. Just stop it. That doesn't work in any sort of fucking factor, does it? Come on, yeah. for God's sake. And, and that's the, that's another question of why they do it. What's the motivation? And is it a hobby? And does anyone care and all the rest of it? And you know what? I'm remembering in my own way. Oh, fuck that. I mean, it does care. And I'm and I'm going back to, to Squadron Leader Skeet there, you know. Go on. And stories like that. Stop, mm. you poppy memers, stop sharing shite lest we forget things, right? Hate and more remembering. Do it properly. Yeah. Stop posting shite memes and do it properly, you know. And until you know the stories of men like Maurice Skeet, you know, then 
just I'm not saying pack it in, but yeah. learn from these people. Learn the mental strain that they went through and why it's so important to demonstrate that and to do it right. And for me, you know, kit is is kit important to us. It is, but that mm. level of detail in the equipment for me is the level of respect that you have for these men. Yeah, you know, and the general public don't care about you know the fact that you might have a you know it's like one more strap on a c-type helmet you know the general public don't care but we do it's about that level of detail and respect for those people and for doing it right you know and you know like the bomber command that i mentioned earlier the fifty-five thousand killed it's it's about every single one of those men and and the rest of them and obviously it's remembrance day today it's remembrance sunday you know i would advise every reenactor out there to to get themselves to that local cemetery this weekend. Don't mm. work it. Don't Please work don't it. Work don't it. work it. Don't work it. It's not about you. Please. No. Put a shirt and tie on. Put a poppy on. Go down there and just stand and for two minutes of your life, two minutes of your whole year, just stand there and just pause to reflect. Squadron leader, like I just mentioned, and and thousands, hundreds of thousands of men from this country and from overseas in the Commonwealth, the women. Yeah, completely that loss of lives and, you know, and, yeah. and, and and those that made it through that, the paid mental trauma that we mentioned earlier, think about them. And if you can't do that without putting on a uniform for two minutes, and those people that say, I'm remembering, I'm helping people visualize it. No, you're not. No, you're not. All you're, all you're doing is wanting sub, sub, subconscious level of attention for it to be on you. How can you remember people when you've put on a uniform, you know, to detract from that? It's like, I just, I just don't get it. It's like going to a funeral dressed up as your granddad. Do you know what I mean? Who's <laughs> in the coffin? Do you know, that's what it's like. <laughs> yeah, it genuinely is. Why okay. would you do that? You wouldn't, you wouldn't do that. No. So you know, just you, you put a suit on, you have a shave, and you, you, you know, and you, you, you go and cry. <laughs> your granddad's funeral. That's what you do. Yeah. And I'm asking people to go and put suits on and cry, but no, no, no. for God's sake, just leave it to these people. And people that say to me as well, like, oh, you know, organizers have asked me to be mm. here. Tell them to fuck off. <laughs> Tell them that Remembrance Day is about remembering those that are on that cenotaph inscribed on the wall. It's not about wearing your kit for the people. Not at all. Not for me anyway. Yeah. And they have it. And 96% of our listeners and audience members agreed with us on our uh, survey this morning. They did. Saw it. Survey monkey. They did. And what I would say is that to the 4% who disagreed, I'd quite like a debate, yeah. a chat, a stern chat. Let's No, not a stern chat. I mean, I, I genuinely want to understand the, the opposite opinion. Maybe, maybe my opinion can be swayed. So if anybody does fancy talking with us, yeah, uh, I'm going to go live with a quick beer for a, for a good, good sort of 10, 20 minutes tomorrow evening. If you'd like to come and chat about Remembrance Day, and how appropriate it is, by all means, come and join us. Uh, and we'll have a, a chat and just see, you know, my mind might be changed. I might tell you to fuck off. Who knows? <laughs> oh. <laughs> Maybe. But let's see. Let's see. So if anybody does fancy a chat about remembrance and how reenacting plays a part in it, it certainly does. It certainly does. I mean, and, and let you know, if you want to understand our opinions on it, go back to the remembrance episode last year, yeah. where we talked about you know some of the World War Two, World War One centenary reenactments uh, on the Tube in London, uh, in Manchester, yeah, and so on. But yeah, good. Well done. That was good. It was a really good. Sorry, Andy, I feel like a big weight off my shoulders. You know. No, Got it all off my chest. That's what it's about. This is what this is. It's therapy. We are therapy. Yeah. Darn our mics. 
So are you still happy with your six then for, for the standards of reenactment in Britain? Ten being a better, six being a, well, a one being a, no, nah, I think I'm staying with six. I want to see okay. a, a okay. better opinion. I mean, even my opinion. I was going to say, yeah, what do you, you, what know? do you want to see? You know, what, what, what does a seven look like in your eyes? What does an eight look like? What does a nine look like? Well, I always reflect solely based on what I know and what I do. I, I see myself as a six or seven. I want to be up there. I want to move forward. I want to push forward, you know, and I want to do it in the, the price range that I can firstly as well. But ultimately it's about the getting it correct. And you're right. You know, don't ask, what do I need to buy? It's, it's about what you know. And then you ask, is this right? And that's ultimately what it's about. And I've got things there. I want to, I want to ask the question, is that right? And you know, Hey, we, we, we're going to get there next weekend. It's going to be fab. We're going to sit there together over a, a warm beer over in the UK. Do what a we do. A warm beer, I hope not. A hope warm, not beer. warm beer. But it's World War Two, isn't it? Warm beer. Not having that. Brill, well, you know, as uh, the, the sun has set, it is Thursday the 11th of November here in the UK. It's it is. 13 minutes to nine. Um, what will you be doing this Sunday, Andy, for Remembrance Sunday? Um, I usually am at the local cenotaph in my little village. Um, unfortunately, I will not be. I will be with Philip, more twin brother, and his family. We are going over tomorrow night and enjoying our birthday celebrations. And Sunday, we will get up and we'll go to his local cenotaph and do that. But the boys... I've got two boys and they're in the scouts and cubs. They would be in, in normal uniform, but no, not this weekend. We will be smartly dressed at a cenotaph. Great stuff. That's what we will be doing. And you, are you a local? Same, local cenotaph, you know, um, suit on, shirt, tie, you know. Um, I'll be wearing a family member's tie as well, which is always good. I, think, I, you know, I always bring, do that. Brings it home. It's nice, nice to do that. I think you know, it's not water meeting. It's it's paying tribute no, it's to not. family members. I always wear my dad's before. I always yeah, wear my that's, dad's. That's it. Yeah, I wear my granddad's. I've got um, I've got my my uncles as well, which which I might wear um this time. Hmm. We'll see. But yeah, I'll do that, and then I often take uh, a walk around the one of the local cemeteries or a couple of them. I'm yeah. going to go to a different one this year. Oh, um, okay, I've got a couple of plans for Sunday as well. Um. I like to remember in my own way sometimes, so hopefully I'll do that this weekend, pay my own little tribute to uh, to the men in the cemetery um, yeah. that I haven't explored before. So look forward to uh, to doing that as well. But um, for anybody listening, I think what we'll do is uh, we will we will see this this podcast episode out with the last post, um, and we will ask you wherever you are, whenever you're listening to this, whether this is in a few weeks' time um, or you know the, on the 11th or the 12th of November, that you do just bow your head for for these two minutes. And uh, you, you do remember a family member, or um, you know, just if, if you've got no family members, just just think about the squadron leader we mentioned earlier, or the the thousands of others like them that uh, paid the ultimate sacrifice so that we could we could be here today and, and enjoy the privileges that we do. So you know, as the bugler sounds, um, yeah, just just please pay your respects. I'm not asking you to pull over in your car, but you know, this Sunday, please make sure that you do. Um, please stay away from Kit, as you mentioned. And uh, and yeah, so we'll see us out now um, with the uh, the famous verses, and then we'll listen to the last post. They shall grow not old, as we that are left grow old. Age shall not weary them, nor the years condemn. At the going down of the sun, and in the morning, 
we will remember them. Thank you.